welcome to Way to Live, the Holistic Wellbeing Podcast. This is episode four. I'm Chelsea. Let's get started. I created this podcast to bring to light all aspects of life that affect our well-being. So far, I've talked about how environments, buildings, nature, work, and traveling affect our health and wellness. Most well-being podcasts focus on very personal, individualistic concepts like lifestyle, diet, exercise, and mental-emotional health which we'll definitely talk about, but that's just one aspect of the big picture. There's also interpersonal, like family and friends, organizational, like where you may work, community, and policy or society. As you can see, there are many external factors and stakeholders that can enhance or impede on your happiness and health. It's important to include these larger concepts into the conversation in order to frame a more holistic perspective. It's July, 2020. I know you're all aware of the socio-political news and discourse occurring in this country right now. The resurgence of the Black Lives Matter movement due to unfortunate circumstances has left many people of color and their allies upset, angry, sad, afraid, and exhausted fighting for justice equality, and systemic change. Last week, I briefly spoke about what's going on in our country, the fact that we're dealing with racism, police brutality, and extreme political division. It seems that the conversation in America right now is, how can we protect and fight for the well-being of everyone, no matter the race, ethnicity, gender, sexual preference, age, or economic class? When it should be, how can we enhance and optimize each person's well-being to reach our full potential as humans? I think it's really important to have these tough socio-cultural conversations and work through these wicked challenges together. There are many directions I could have taken with this episode, but I landed on this idea of focusing on the middle, gaining perspective from personal Black life experiences, and understanding how we can move forward in society, in business, and in our communities. Today, I have the honor of interviewing my past client, Trenzio Turner, former partner at Sanders Wingo Advertising Agency, a marketing leader extraordinaire, board member at Behavioral Science Lab, and podcaster at Tracksuits and Pajamas, where he discusses this concept of the middle with his friend, Noel Newby. Trenzio, thank you so much for joining me today. Oh, thank you for having me, Chelsea. After hearing all that, I should like just call you every day just to hear that. I just feel better <laughs> now. So thank you for all that. Of course, of course. Um, so I did kind of give you an intro already, but would you mind telling the audience who you are, um, your professional background, and what led you to making the Tracksuits track and Pajamas podcast? No, absolutely. Uh, and again, thank you for having me. Uh, always been a big fan of, of your work. And so getting a chance to be on with you now is super cool. Uh, so I have been in advertising and marketing for 20 years. Um, I spent most of that time at advertising agencies, uh, one of which I was a partner with for a number of years. And uh, now I am consulting 
uh, with different clients in the ad industry and uh, even some nonprofit work as well. And then very excited, as you mentioned, about tracksuits and pajamas uh, that I do with my good, good friend, Noel Newby. So um, with the background in advertising and marketing, you spend a lot of time listening to people and you spend a lot of time trying to help them solve different challenges that they may have. And a big part of that requires you to be sort of in this middle mindset um, so that you can hear all of the perspectives to come up with good solutions. And so Noelle and I have talked about doing something for a number of years. And with all the discourse in the country, uh, we say, you know what, why don't we get together and do a podcast and talk about the middle talk mm-hmm. about empathy and the role it plays in that uh in everything from you know from politics and and race to college football and pancakes let's just get into it all mm-hmm. i love that and um yeah you do talk about the the middle a lot and um focusing on the middle and you've briefly mentioned it but what does it mean to you right now um and do you think it's something that we need in america Yeah, absolutely. I think um, what it means to me is always, always trying to make sure that we create the right amount of headspace so that way we can discuss the differences that we may have um, to not get wrapped up in false dichotomies like either you're with me or you're against me, right? Mm -hmm. You know, like like to, to not get wrapped up into those things but instead working together as human beings to uh, understand each other. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean we're going to always agree. It's not what this is about. Uh, it doesn't mean that you don't pick a side on things, right? right? As far as uh, I'm concerned, there is no side on racism, for example, mm-hmm. right? It's, yeah. just, it's just evil and we don't need it, period, mm-hmm. right? Um, but that doesn't mean that um, we don't have conversations around the issues and challenges of our time. And we believe that if you use empathy, um, mm-hmm. one of the things we talk about in the podcast is we, we break down the definition of empathy to let people know that it's about generating, putting yourself in someone else's shoes in order to generate an action mm-hmm. that solves a problem, right? Yeah. And that generate an action that solves a problem is key. You don't do that without actively listening. You don't do mm-hmm. that without trying to understand. Mm-hmm. And that essentially is the middle space that we try to get people to. I had a good friend reach out to me um, once everything happened and the protest started. And he's like, well, where do you guys go from here? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and, you know, I told him and I said, you know, you, the middle doesn't mean you don't take a stand. Right. Mm -hmm. I said, but you still have to find, there's still those things where both can be true. I love how you put that. Um, And I do want to talk about empathy because I think it's something that we need to better instill into our, not just American culture, but human culture. And uh, if you have an empathetic mindset, empathy will inform your values, uh, your thoughts, your feelings, and ultimately your behaviors. So this is definitely something I think about all the time, um, especially in my um, line of work as a workplace strategist. Um, I do focus on user-centered and human-centered design, um, giving a voice to everyone, right? So not just the decision makers. And so um, this idea of empathy, was this something that you, you know, learned growing up or something that you um, kind of were taught at an early age? You know what, I, I think for me, 
personally, it was, it was always there, right? I didn't always have the means to articulate it or to sort of understand it the way I'm the way, at least the way I think I do mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, today. Um, you know, my background, I had a lot of people who sh showed empathy um, to me. And there's a difference between empathy and sympathy, right? Mm -hmm. And empathy was the, the definition that I gave earlier. Uh, sympathy is, you know, having concern or showing welfare for someone else's situation, right? And I had that um, given to me a lot in my life, but I also had a whole lot of empathy, right? Where mm -hmm. people actually put themselves in my shoes to help generate an action that would solve a problem that I was having. So I had a lot of life experiences growing up uh, that I saw and that sort of shaped my viewpoint. Uh, mm -hmm. I grew up in a single parent home. Uh, we grew up on welfare. I struggled in school a little bit. So there were a lot of opportunities for people to showcase and show me that empathy. So I felt like it sort of was training me, if you will, uh, over time. Then as I sort of developed in my career in business and in advertising in particular, um, you have to exhibit a lot of empathy um, mm -hmm. when you work with clients to help solve. So um, I was fortunate uh, to have both of those things as sort of a background padding for me in the empathy space. Mm -hmm. And um can you remember any sort of defining moments or experiences that you had that led you to being more em empathetic and having conversations about this middle space that you talk about on your podcast? Yeah, I think for, for me, I, I mentioned my background as a kid. I struggled in reading a lot. Mm. Um, a lot of people don't know I was in remedial reading until I was in ninth grade. And so um, I had a lot of teachers who work with me um, through different programs to sort of help me out and help me slow down a little bit. Um, and it really, really made a big difference in my learning. And, mm -hmm. and for me, I learned, and I even still use this today, uh, for someone else, it may take them an hour to read something, right? For me, it may take me two hours, but what I learned is that if I took that time, often I could retain the material and remember it better than those who might've been able to read through it much faster. So mm -hmm. um, one of my favorite books is um, Malcolm Gladwell's David and Goliath, because it talks about the advantages of disadvantages and mm -hmm. the disadvantage mm -hmm. of advantages. Mm, I love that. And, and when I read that book, I was like, oh my goodness, he's like, you know, just writing out my childhood basically. <laughs> uh, and so that, that was sort of my story of empathy. Uh, mm -hmm. And so um, always sort of had that, you know, over the years, uh, developed that skill a little bit more by working with different groups. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one of the things I talk to students about is the importance of if you've never done so in your life, you should put yourself in the minority to work with the majority to solve a problem. Mm -hmm. right? mm -hmm. And usually people think about these big tentpole things of politics and race and Absolutely, those things are there. Uh, but I often encourage students, um, you know, the, the example I give them is, is my situation where in high school, I took a technical theater class. Right? I didn't know anything about theater. Uh, and, but a good friend of mine was in theater, suggested that I participate in the program. And it was a small micro way right, of me putting myself in the minority to work mm -hmm. with the majority, right? Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot. 
I learned a lot. I had a whole new appreciation for the theater and the work that goes into it and the dedication and just how much of a class professional you have to be to deliver once that curtain comes back. Not to mention all the things that go on behind the scenes. Mm -hmm. And so those little micro examples, I think, helped me throughout my life and throughout my career because I've always tried to do that. So that way, as things escalate and I get into business and I get into race and mm -hmm. I get into politics, uh, I go to it with that lens. I still approach it like that today. And I'll often encourage people, young and old, uh, to do that if you haven't already done that uh, in your life or if you haven't personally lived or experienced that. With your background and kind of your, your industry, you do often have to put yourself into the shoes of others. Uh, that's just an interesting concept, how you kind of learned this idea of empathy and it kind of already transitioned over into your career. Um, what has your journey through corporate America, speaking about your, your career, what has it been like for you um, and your experience working with top brands in regards to this idea? Yeah, um, I've had the pleasure to work with, with some great brands. Uh, most of the clients I've worked with have been Fortune 500, uh, mm -hmm. worked with some school districts, and I mentioned earlier some nonprofits as well. Um, wh one of the things that's fascinating to me about getting a chance to work with those brands is helping them sort of unfold their promise and letting them know overall the impact that that has from a culture standpoint, from an innovation standpoint, from a technology standpoint. Um, a brand is a promise that a company gives to its customers, mm. right? So we promise to do these things every time, right? Um, if I'm a clothing store, I promise to deliver this type of clothing to you at this level of quality. If I'm a restaurant, I promise to deliver this food this way every time, right? Mm -hmm. And one of the things that over the years I learned and talked to clients about is that promise of a brand of who you are has to extend into everything you do mm -hmm. right obviously your end product but how do you treat your employees right mm -hmm. what does your benefits program look like mm -hmm. um you know in your space what does the physical space look like right mm -hmm. um you know um, what types of affinity groups you have what, what do you do inside your organization to help mm -hmm. employees that are dealing with difficult times right your brand has to extend into all those things uh, because a company or a corporation itself um, is made up of human beings, right? right. So mm -hmm. how do you demonstrate that uh, as a company? Yeah, brand culture is very real and people buy from and work for brands who they believe in. There and so go. they share their same values, you know, what's their mission, what are their priorities, um, things like that. So I'm glad you, you brought that up. Um, Okay, so, um, you know, I, I listened to your podcast and um, your most recent episode um, did talk about what's going on in America right now, um, kind of the middle of racism. And um, you did mention something about skepticism about companies who are right now all of a sudden making moves um, mm -hmm. when we know that racism and a lack of diversity and inclusivity isn't new, um, but these moves are. And so how would you like to see big corporations and businesses now respond to the BLM movement that's happening? Yeah, I think, um, first of all, I think it's great. Um, 
And, you know, I, I remember when the BLM movement first got going, um, you know, probably about six, seven years ago. Um, and there were a lot of corporations that would not touch it. Mm. Right? In fact, most would not. Uh, so it was interesting to sort of observe and to see just the groundswell um, of all these corporations tweeting out things, changing their web pages, uh, giving can people I, Can I ask out. you? So I know that you've been in marketing for like about 18, 20 years. Yeah. Were you, so, you know, the resurgence of this movement. So back six, seven years ago, did you advocate clients to respond or did you advocate them not to respond? Like what was happening and, and kind of how did you approach it as an expert? Yeah, no, the one thing with the, what we share with clients is a similar thing that I would share today with clients is whatever you say, make sure you can commit to it. Mm, okay. right? So what you see happening now is a lot of clients um, are putting things out and that's great. But there's going to be a follow through on that. Right? Mm -hmm. So Black Lives Matter. Okay, wonderful. Now, they truly matter. People are going to want to know how many black people are you actually hiring? Right? Mm -hmm. What are you paying them? What are the wages? Right? Are there gaps in there from a gender standpoint? Right? What's what, what's going on? That they're going to they're going to peek behind that and you're going to have to show and prove. Mm -hmm. And you said something uh, earlier that people choose the companies based off of what type of values, what type of purpose and mission they have, and does it align with them, mm -hmm. right? And so Black Lives Matter obviously is aligning with a lot of people right now, right? But one of the things that um, smart consumers, especially, um, especially millennial consumers, are really hard and pressing on companies about is one thing for you to say it, but you're going to have to show me, mm -hmm. right? And you're going to have yeah. to do it. And if you don't do it, this particular generation has the weapons to call you out on it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and they can sort of really light you up if you are not real about it. So uh, the thing that I share with clients back then and I would share with clients today is it is a great movement to be a part of and something that is definitely necessary. And we want you to do it, but don't just do it um, mm -hmm. because everyone else is doing it. Right. right. Make it a part of your ethos. Make it a part of your DNA, who mm -hmm. you are. Make it genuine um, so that it's organic and it's natural versus a PR initiative. Mm -hmm. Well, that leads great into um, my next question. So you yourself being a marketing leader, working with these top brands from Fortune 500 companies, um, what advice would you give to these businesses right now in order to best show authenticity? through advertising, marketing, you know, um, HR strategies, et cetera? Yeah, I would say be transparent, right? And, uh, you know, transparent, even the word transparency is turned into one of those words, well, what exactly does that mean? Great. Some of the things I was saying earlier, let's talk about how many black employees you have, mm -hmm. right? Let's talk about whether or not you have pay gaps, right? Let's, um, affinity groups are great. You find a lot of, um, Fortune 500 companies, even smaller ones, have different affinity groups, and that's wonderful, right? To sort of have a way for folks to um, to congregate together and uh, come up with different things and strategies uh, that support their respective communities. You know, are you doing that? Um, are you funding those things? Um, and not not in a um, showboaty 
way or putting thing out on display because if you're genuine and you are organic and rich about it you don't um, have to be flashy about it no nah, it will it will show right mm-hmm. you know it will it will show and so um those are the things that i would encourage companies to do but i i really would would encourage them to look at their dna as a company right so what is your board made of mm-hmm. right so if you're doing these things but then you look at your board and they don't reflect where the country is right now right then maybe we should take take a look at that mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. um so it goes all the way up to that right all the way up to your senior managers your leaders and so forth and so on so um, I would definitely encourage clients to be doing that to make sure that it's woven throughout their organization and not just a stamp they're putting on there. You know, it, people often bring up uh, money, right? Like, oh, it's going to cost, you know, millions of dollars or, you know, whatever. Yeah, some things you will need to spend money on and you spend money on things already. So that shouldn't be a problem. But then there are those things that you can do right now. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, mm-hmm. the, the transparency piece doesn't cost you exactly. any money. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, examining your board. Right. And making mm-hmm. sure. Right. It doesn't, it doesn't really cost you any money. Right. Um, but those are things that can play a role in fixing a systematic or systemic issue mm-hmm. that you have mm-hmm. right? that will cost you money if you don't take care of it right you know exactly right so so yeah there's there's tons of things out there um that um that companies could do like tomorrow Mm -hmm. Um, right and if you're a company that's looking at this and saying okay this is going to cost so much money like why do we need to do it you need to check your values because is it is it money or is it you know equality so, yeah, you know, I mean, one of the things, um, uh, Larry Fink, um, he heads up BlackRock Investment Group and they manage like trillions of dollars in assets. Mm-hmm. And he sent out a letter, open letter to CEOs. This was probably two years ago. And he's like, there's a direct correlation between our values and our purpose and our money. Mm-hmm. Right. So the more we stand behind, the more we say who we are, what we are, what we're about. And we commit to that, um, the money follows, right? Mm-hmm. And I think I think I think a lot of companies are are getting that now, mm-hmm. um, you know, which which is why you see. Um, think about all the companies that you have now that have their own foundation mm-hmm. or have their own nonprofit arm or that have part of their benefits, they'll donate X, Y, Z dollars, right? It used to be, if you wanted to do that stuff, you had to go volunteer at the Y on the weekend on your own, right? Or at the animal shelter on your own weekend, right? Most companies have this stuff already. Embedded. There, embedded. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, um, I think you'll see, you'll see more of that, um, which, which is the reason why when companies say we don't know what to do or, well, how do we get started? It's like, man, come on now. You know, yeah, I think you know how. I think you know how. It's one of those things where um, what, what I found is working with all the companies over years that we have is if there's no one at the top, mm-hmm. it's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. Right? That, that's what, it's going to be a huge cultural change and like yeah. a push to make it that way. Yeah. And it's not a, um, it's not this like boulder 
you know, in the Rocky Mountains that you have to move, right? It's, mm-hmm. not, it's, it's not, it's really not, you know, yeah. it's, it's, uh, it's just having uh, perspectives uh, of color mm-hmm. and diversity um, to like, it's almost like if, if you're, you know, somebody looks at their investment portfolio, right? You're not going to have everything in, 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 in one vertical, Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No one. No one has yeah. a has a portfolio like that. Just no one, one thing. Just yeah. One. Like no, sorry, we only you know only do textiles or whatever. You know, like like that's all. That's right. All I do. Sorry, just copper. That's it. That's all. <laughs> right. Like no, no one has that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, which is just just it's mind boggling to think that in your organization you wouldn't add mm-hmm. to that to make you that much more richer mm-hmm. um, yeah uh, in so many ways uh and so that just you know but it 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 starts starts at the top it uh, does it definitely does and it comes down to mindset and values like what do you value what is your mindset do you have like do you have empathy you know what mm-hmm. i mean um so I grew up in Orange County, um, but oftentimes I the OC. Um, <laughs> oftentimes when I do say that, people think that I live this like luxurious life, like a certain lifestyle, mm-hmm. and that's like not the case at all. Um, I grew up in government housing for low-income families with my mom and my brother, and uh, in our apartment complex, we were one of the very few like white people, and. My brother is actually, um, we come from different dads, so he's actually half Mexican, but for the sake of this, he is just a tan white kid, right? Mm -hmm. And um, who I grew up with, like, so everyone else was basically Mexican or black. And so those are the people that I grew up with. And so I was like kind of a minority in that respect. Yeah. And so I've always had this idea of diversity and inclusivity in my head. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what has framed like my friendships, my relationships, my career, and just overall like mindset. So I, yeah. I'm, I'm really glad that I had that experience actually. Yeah. See, I mean, that's a, your, um, your lived experience, right? Sort mm-hmm. of. And that's th- those lived experiences are so key, which is why you have to have them in the room. Mm-hmm. Right. You, yeah. you, you, you have to have those lived experiences in the room. Now I mentioned earlier about putting yourself in the minority, work with the majority. You lived in that, mm-hmm. right? You lived, you lived in, in, in an environment like that. So it, it shapes your perspective. Uh, it gives you a much more global view of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, right. I was very, very comfortable in any community really. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I got to college, it was interesting because I played football in college. Mm-hmm. And so um, you get people on a football team just from, and I, I went to school at Tarleton state, which is way out in West Texas, right? They okay. call it the, uh, it's the dairy capital. Of oh, Texas. Okay. Yeah. okay. So it gives you a sense of <laughs> what kind of place right. it is. Right. Um, but I had, I had guys at the school. Um, I remember I had a, I had a, a friend in the dorm freshman year. Um, you know, I think I was walking in one day or something coming in from practice and, um, 
opened the door and I think I held it for him. And I said, Hey, how you doing, man? And he said, Hey, how you doing? And, and, and I didn't think anything of it. Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I, he's, you know, he had his cowboy hat on. He had everything that you, all the, whatever stereotype you want. Yeah. Throw, yeah. Uh-huh. Had it all going on. Right. <laughs> um, and he knew I played football because I was there earlier, uh, early um, for, for football practice. And so we would see each other from time to time and I would always speak. Um, and then one day I was walking in with the rest of the guys from the team and he was over there and we were all talking, chopping it up. And I would walk past and I saw him and he didn't say hi. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I stopped, I leaned back and I said, Hey, how you doing, man? He said, Hey, how you doing? And it, and it went on. And then later on he pulled me aside and he said, he said, I, I didn't speak cause you were, you were, you were with your other friends. And he said, he said, but Hey, I thank you for, for saying hi. Mm-hmm. And I said, so of course, well, I, I mean, well, why wouldn't I do that? You're, you're my mm-hmm. guy. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he said, well, I just, he said, I did, I grew up in a town. There were no black people around. Mm-hmm. And so he's like, he's like, he said, I know it may seem like I look at you kind of weird sometimes. And he, he said, because he said, I never had a black person who culture who, shock who would speak to me. Yeah. And he, yeah. Said, mm-hmm. he said, he said, it's a lot different than what I see on TV. Mm-hmm. Right? Oh my God. And I had, yeah, and I had I had heard that before, but I was like, oh yeah, it's just you know, you know, surely you've seen some black people before. Mm-hmm. But no, this was a case where this kid had come from a rural town and not seen any black folks. You mm-hmm. know, seen the stereotype mm-hmm. role that uh, actors have played on TV, and so that was his association. So mm-hmm. speaking to him every day sort of freaked him out a little bit because he was like, wow, it, it, that's not. That's not what the TV is showing. <laughs> yeah, the TV is showing, right? <laughs> and so it just it just made me aware of just how um, you know, people can come from different and college does that, right? You, you know, because you get people coming from all different mm-hmm. different perspectives of life. Um, it just made me realize that you never know someone's background mm-hmm. and where they're coming from. Mm-hmm. And so you should, you know, treat you know, it means it's what we try to teach kids, right? You just, you treat everybody. Respect and kindness. Respect and kindness, mm-hmm. you mm-hmm. know, and, and you just roll with it. But that is not always the case. Right now, the conversation in America is, you know, how can we protect and fight for the well-being of everyone, especially people of color, um, when it should be how can we enhance and optimize each person's well-being to reach our full potential as humans? Um, so having that conversation, um, do you think that will reach this point as a country? Um, what do you think it'll take to get there? You know, I, it's a start. Right? And I think um, I don't ever want to um, discourage a start. Right, because I'd rather have a start than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, I think um, now, um, and let me back up. It it started a long time ago, right? But obviously, um, with all the horrific things that have happened over the past month or so, um, and things that have been going on for years, but definitely with people seeing uh, George Floyd's death and um, Breonna Taylor and Ahmaud Arbery, there's there's obviously a rightful, rightfully so uh, renewed fire 
about mm-hmm. these things. And I think that um, I will never discourage a start. And what I'm seeing is the start of a conversation. Uh, but I think we have to dig in even deeper. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think what happens a lot of times is when it starts to get uncomfortable, people stop. Mm-hmm. Um, and that uncomfortable feeling uh, that people have is actually the beginning of a breakthrough. Right? Mm-hmm. That's, that's the very beginning of it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's hard, but I think people should press through and actively listen uh, to try to solve some of these things uh, that we have and to create different initiatives, initiatives and policies towards them. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, and so, you know, this has been around for, um, you know, six or seven years, the resurgence of the movement. Um, how did you feel when it did resurface? And how has your well-being been impacted by it since up till now? Yeah, I was, um, you know what, I, I, I kind of had mixed feelings, to be honest with you. Um, because um, obviously uh, the resurgence of it was was great in the sense of okay now more corporations more people mm-hmm. more folks are talking about it is great. At the same time, uh, I struggle with that it took all of this to happen mm-hmm. in order for that resurgence to take place. Mm-hmm. Right, and so for me personally, I've sort of my personal well being. I've had to sort of balance the two sides of that um, uh, because both of those are true and genuine to me and to my personal lived experiences. Um, but I do believe um, that it is, it is right and it is good uh, and it's something that we need and it's the start of it. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, I just, I cannot, say that enough that it's the start it's Mm -hmm. not the ending point Mm -hmm. um now now the real work um Mm -hmm. i shouldn't say the real work but now we're going to dig even deeper it's like i remember when my wife and i first got married and um like oh i do and they're like okay now the now the real work starts (laughs) right right. and so it's it's kind of that that context of it um and you see that right because there are people who have been doing this work for a long time um, and are now just getting um, the right amount of shine so that their voice can be heard even more and so that their thoughts can get out. And that's, that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost like now what? And um, now focusing on the steps towards change. So how can we get to where we want to be? Yeah. And um, I guess I'll end with this. Um, so a lot of people are feeling a lot of things right now. Um, what advice would you give to people listening in um, who may be impacted by what's going on, um, by the different um, events that have been um, transpired over the country? Um, what, what well-being advice would you give to them? Yeah, I, w- I would tell people to make sure you continue to take care of yourself, right? Because there's, there's so much going on right now, um, you know, Oh yeah, and we have a pandemic too, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> it's just like, you know, as as if that wasn't enough, right? We'll, what we a have, year! Yeah, I mean, it's just you know, twenty twenty will will go down as as a lot of things. No one, <laughs> so, no one will forget this year. No one will forget twenty twenty. <laughs> um, 
So I, I think making sure that you take care of yourself um, mentally, physically, spiritually, um, you know, make sure you, your personal space, right? Make sure you allow, allow room for that because a lot of these things, I think also require you to rest and recharge and then mm-hmm. go back at it. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then rest and recharge and go back at it. So you want to make sure you allow room for that rest and recharge. You want to make sure you have a space, right, for that rest and recharge. Um, because it, it it can be exhausting um to talk about these things over and over again. Um and you know, speaking as a black person, it's exhausting to live through it. Uh, mm-hmm. every day. Uh, my wife and I, we have a child and he's eight. And so the conversations we have to have with him as an eight-year-old um, ha- have evolved mm-hmm. um, and will continue to evolve. Um, but they include a lot of the things that we're hearing about today on his level. And that that takes a toll, right? So I, so I understand that from a parent perspective and then I understand that from a personal perspective and from a business perspective, right? It's, that's a lot. Mm-hmm, uh, so I would encourage mm-hmm. people to make sure that you find those moments and find that space to take care of yourself. Trenzio, thank you so much for sharing your perspective as a Black male in America, explaining the difference between sympathy and empathy, how the BLM movement has impacted you, and how you've encouraged people to focus on the middle to have tough conversations, to see both sides, to work through the discomfort, and to move forward with empathy to drive positive change. Y'all need to check out his podcast. Again, it's Tracksuits and Pajamas by Trenzio Turner and his friend, Noelle Newby. And this may have crossed your mind in my intro of Trenzio, and I'm going to point it out. Yes, you can be friends with your clients. You know, business is business, but it's always about relationships. And it was a pleasure working with Trenzio. I'm really glad that we've kept in touch. And I was delighted to have him today as a guest on my podcast. I'm your host, Chelsea Connolly, signing off and wishing you a healthier and happier way to live. (laughs) 